Chapter 18 Adamantine, carved and magically infused with a teal light in the shape of two enormous birds with spread majestic wings, framed the city of Felhar. Lydikai stopped as the vision hit him, the mist having parted enough to unveil the skyline of Dimiri's largest city before him. He guessed that the giant birds were supposed to symbolize freedom or ambition, but the first thought that hit him was that they looked as if they were being dragged down into the reddish smoke and dull white light seeping up from the city from which they emerged. They looked as if they were fleeing a fire. He caught Taryn's smile in his peripheral vision. Never seen it before, have you? She said, nodding towards the city on the hill in front of them. It's quite... something, Lydikai said, voice hoarse from the silence they had travelled in. After walking, frustratingly slowly, for a day on the Alva Trail, they had camped. When they had sat out, several carriages had passed, all full, or had hurried past their calls for assistance. Eventually, one had let them on. It had continued north after they jumped off, without making a stop for supplies in Felha, its driver muttering something about it being the worst place in Runa. Taren had agreed, something that had apparently deflected any talk of writing contracts for payment. It's a maze practically made of only back alleys. Don't get lost, Taryn said as they neared the entrance to the city. Even before they stepped inside the city walls, Lydikai was very much inclined to believe her. For the first time in what felt like half a life, he thought of Ailetis and the orange year he had left behind. Felhar was strikingly different, but there was something about the sheer scale of the city and the way it coiled around itself that reminded him of the place he had once called home. Ailitiz was also a maze, but one that claimed to be one of absolute order. Lidjikai had never agreed with that claim, no matter how much anyone tried to convince him. Ailitiz had been a winding nightmare to him upon arrival, and largely continued to be so throughout his entire stay there. The city towering before Lydikai now made him think it could be the result of Ailitis and Everglade Lith deciding to build a third city together. The labyrinthine buildings were sprawling in every direction, indeed resembling both the serpentine vertigo of Ailitis and the chaotic patchwork of the Lith. Where Ailitis was one shining colour at a time, and the Lith was a lacework of vegetation, Felhar was a hazy mist of overlapping shadow. The fog seemed to come and go like breaths from an enormous creature, and it shifted from pale red through grey to green in hue. The fog itself seemed odourless, but there was a constant smell of burnt sugar and metal in the air, at least here by the southern gate. The enormous birds disappeared into a diffuse sky, sunken in grey mist. Lydikai felt a careful, strong arm hook into his. Vesh was at his side, with a hesitant smile. Is this... Can, can I do this? I am... This place looks confusing, he said. Lydikai put his hand on Vesh's arm and gave it an encouraging stroke with his thumb, nodding. 
Vesha's arm relaxed a little. As Lady Kai led his in Vesha's way after Tarrant's quickly moving back, he heard a fog walker on his arm take a breath as if going underwater. Her words were like a nail, going all the way to the eardrum, and how close, how real they felt. You behaved very well, little killer. If we didn't have to leave, I'd reward you for making our job so easy, after our winding trail of bodies going after you. Quite compliant, Derry said and patted Crow on the cheek with a confusing, lingering tenderness that they felt even through the mask. Make sure you don't sink into complete dejection now. I think your new keepers like a bit of fire. The mask came off with a deafening chafing of metal on metal. Possibility rushed back into Crow a choking, painful reconnecting with reality, with the energies around them, with themselves. They could have been without it. Tiredness, like manacles. Then there were actual manacles. Barely registering what was happening, Crow was put down against a large pole in the ground, hands behind their back, in irons. The ground was muddy. Everything was wet. They heard their two captors mumble something above. Memories slowly knitted together again. They heard them turn, walk, leave. No, wait. Crow exhaled, lungs complaining at the effort. Derry. They could hear the larger person warn. The other one had stiffened and turned. Grin still hanging off her cheeks like a torn-up curtain. Please. Mirva, I know it's you. Crow managed to croak out, a little steadier. They felt a galloping panic rise to the surface along recent memories and much older memories. Realization and a difficulty to believe was right in front of them. I thought you were... Please, just listen to me. They continued, able to focus their eyes now, looking up into the green irises, staring back. I don't know what happened to you. Serena, she... she tricked us both. I thought what we did, what she did, that I had... Remember when we came to her in Ilitis? It was... it was a blue year, indigo. They lost their breath at a ripple that flashed over Derry's face. Please, I can see you in there. Crow felt their eyes tearing, their mind battered by everything they had tried so very, very hard to forget. Derry slowly, stiffly shook her head. Crow could hear her tense, uneven breaths through her nose. The Ender, you remember? The Ender formed, and you... you changed. Serena said you had become... become a blood kith, and that you weren't in Runa anymore, that you were gone, that there was nothing we could do. So she said I had done that. 
changed you and 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 ruined her magic, hurt her. That that's why. That's why I owe her now. You remember that about her, don't you? All the prizes that she talked about, of what we needed, what I need. I felt. I felt as if I'd seen you die. But here you are. What? Please tell me what happened, Mirva. Please. I can help you. We can help each other. Come on, just get me off this thing and we can sort everything out, please. Crow tried to stand up. They could tell something happened behind the nervously moving eyes. But they could also tell that Lon had turned around and was striding over fast, furiously. No, 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 please, please, just let me talk to her. Crow started talking faster, straining to remain within line of sight of Derry, behind the imposing Ori lunging for them. Mir- Crow fell to the ground, and the lawn's massive backhand across their face. Everything spun, their vision narrowing. They saw Lon pull Mira away, the latter in such a state of paralysis she was all but dragged after the tall Ori, frozen at the edge of a memory. One breath, in darkness. Crow opened their eyes. They had no idea where they were. They were doing something. Hands were stuck. Everything is wet. They breathed mud. Like an approaching wave, what had happened only a few breaths ago came back to them, having been momentarily eliminated by the impact at their temple. Losing the very short moment when none of this existed had somehow managed to be the worst part of this entire thing. They tried to sit up again, but realized quickly they felt no reason to. They closed their eyes, determined to never open them again. Breaths of mud in darkness. A chanting. Hooves. The chanting was enchanting. It was conversation. A dozen voices like one. It was impossible to tell how close it was. Something suddenly met their skin, and it only made them close their eyes harder. Hands were on them, trembling, caressing, ripping, grazing, lifting them up. Carrying them off. Wet and dry limbs, fur, tongues and keratin. Even if they could have protested, they don't think they would have. The inevitability of this had been approaching their entire life. It was very close to resembling a joke. How they had tried to run for so long, but not quite there. The terror was, unfortunately, still undeniable. There was elation and a very strong feeling of reality slipping away. The last hope of the Ender coming to help drowned under the hands on their body. Maybe it wasn't happening at all. Maybe they had finally lost what little mind they had left.
Of all the places Vesh should not have let go of a guiding arm, this was probably one of the worst ones. Every shelf he saw had another myriad of incredible and incredibly dusty things he had never seen before. He had some trouble remembering any of those things right now, or exactly where he even was. He was staring down into a little music box that had a miniature half-goat, half-ori flute player spinning in it. The melody coming from it was a slightly out-of-tune lay, and Vesh was currently transfixed by the reality of going through all the trouble of infusing something with this much magic, only to have it be out-of-tune. The implications, the abstractions he could pull from this fact, left him stunned, holding the little box in front of his eyes, noting a slight motion sickness at following the spinning figure. Somewhere far away, he heard a familiar sound. It was like an echo down a corridor that he was unsure wasn't just a figment of his imagination, another ghost vying for attention. A heavy fatigue set in then, a soul-deep tiredness of being torn in so many directions at every single... The lid of the box suddenly closed, causing Vesh to screw up his eyes and straighten his back from his hunched-over position with a start. Hello? Lady Kai said softly next to him, his voice like tendrils, pulling Vesh from his transfiction. Lydikai's spindly, russet-coloured fingers were tented on top of the box, and a careful smile softened the sharp edges of his face. Vesh exhaled. It was... it was out of tune, he whispered. The curio shop was muffled, hushed, whispering seemed the correct volume to Vesh. It didn't seem Lydikai agreed seeing as he continued in a much louder voice. Appropriate, he said in a sardonic mutter. Crow isn't here. Seems they and the proprietor had a bit of an altercation a few years back, and, well, she's not over it. Judging by what I could extract from her mutterings, I can't say I blame her. His gaze turned inwards momentarily. Then he sighed resolutely. Good news is, she still directed us towards a tavern nearby. She made it very clear that she only told us so that we would never come back here and mention Crow again. Sorry to have you part with your new friend, he said, nodding towards the music box that Vesh carefully had put back on the shelf again. I don't need... I have enough places to get lost in, Vesh muttered. He removed his hands from the box finally very uncomfortable with the physical pull it refused to release. Lidikai was smiling next to him, arms crossed, leaning against the shelf in the narrow aisle. Let's go then, Lidikai said quietly, awkwardly nipping at the sleeve of Vesh's bronze-coloured embroidered robe. Vesh hummed, trying to sort several overwhelming emotions at once into little compartments in his head. He caught Lady Kai's hand in his own, tracing the spaces between the fingers, imagining the little compartments of emotion being there in his hand, grabbing hold of it. Yes, let us do that.
Felhar was bustling, but not particularly loud. There was constant movement, but all the transactions of words, services and goods were kept at low volume. Taren had never liked that about Har. There was a dissonance in the physical movement and the sound it produced. She'd take the loudness of Kanda or even Eilitis any day over this. Coming back here had not changed her idea of Har as stunning at first glance, but irritating at every point beyond that. This growing irritability made her determined to the point of shoving people out of her way now, following the directions the proprietor of the mindless clockwork had given her. Within a few ten breaths, she stood in front of the smoke and mirror tavern, about twenty ten breaths before her two companions. She scowled at the tavern's name. That was another thing about her that annoyed her. It was always extraordinarily on the nose or equally extraordinary in its misleading confusion, and she suspected that the two things were often colliding in the same spot. The whole city was hiding in plain sight. Vesh and Lidikai eventually joined her, emerging from the moving crowd outside the tavern hand in hand. Tyron thought they very much looked the part of terrified outsiders. Vesh's other hand held on to the dusty fabric of his tightly wound lilac shawl, and Lady Kai's tall figure scanned the crowd with a posture somewhere between predator and prey. Taran saw that Lady Kai also raised his eyebrows at the dimly glowing sign above the tavern's entrance. She rolled her eyes at him in response. What does that even mean? Lady Kai said as he stopped next to her. Go back home and never come back, she muttered. An odd shiver went along her back and she tried to ignore the fact that it ran through the lines of the new unwanted hex brand. That's just fucking... <laughs> the rest of her thought turned into a sigh as she moved to go through the stained glass double doors of the tavern. Lidikai had expected what most people would expect going into a tavern. Noise, drunkenness... Easily ignited conversations. This tavern was silent enough that you could have dropped a needle and judged the size of the room by the echo. An unexpected screech of hard surfaces against each other sounded as they stepped inside. Lidikai knew that sound. Crystal against crystal. There were not that many other guests, and most of them seemed to carefully try and slink out the door at the opposite end from where Taryn, Lidikai, and Vesh came in. A glitteringly bright shape and a crouching, shivering Ori were at the centre of all the taut attention in here. The very obviously scared Ori was dressed in stained clothes and a much more stained apron. They were being addressed if pointing a long crystal sword towards someone is addressing, that is. Lidikai counted five of the armoured ori standing like sharp crystals rising through the floorboards. What a fool he had been, having unconsciously filed them away in his head at something he had left behind. The ribs of Calopis. The glittering antlers on their helmets scraped against the grey grime of the low ceiling. 
hunching under their own spitshine. Like a candle going out, like smoke trailing along his mind, a thought came to him that he would really rather not have had. The fire at Egelin had turned out a lot worse than he had even imagined. No one had been able to stop it. Eilatiz was a ruin. That is why they are here, away from there. Because there wasn't a there anymore. Then his fear rung out like a note in an atrium. He noticed the body. The previous thought became a whisper at the edges of his consciousness. He swallowed, unable to stop staring, trying to understand what he was looking at. There was a short sword in their throat and... Playing cards? There was also a strained, too-wide grin on the body's face. Something was twisted about the whole display. Staged, but not after their death. The death had been the performance. Those thoughts felt strange, as if they were not entirely his. Confused, he looked down at Vesh at his arm, who was also staring at the body now. For a moment he was sure he could feel a seeping in the air between himself and Vesh, a fuzziness at their borders. A sudden voice made him snap back, caused him to look back at the rib and the barkeep again. I take it you are used to having murders committed in this establishment since you have not taken any steps to find the one responsible, Masse. The rib with their weapon drawn said each word a threat, a tensing of the string between them and the Ori. The barkeep was sweating, and their skin had lost what little colour it might once have had. They held their arms out to the sides, a gesture of submission, and their hands were visibly trembling. It's... the barkeep started, forcing the words through swollen vocal cords. It's a busy day. I, I, I'm alone behind the bar. I, I, had, I hadn't noticed. It was obvious that the words made their way out of the Ori's mouth despite themselves. Another rib moved up to the one with their weapon drawn, whispering something in their short pointed ear. Halfway through the whisper, Lydica could see how the one with the weapon started scanning the room in response to what they were hearing. Lydica instinctively moved in behind a wide wooden support in the room to escape the sweep of the gaze. Unfortunately, it seemed that Gaze had been looking for the Ori next to Lady Kai, who had not tried to escape it. Vesh inhaled sharply, wondering if he would ever let go of that breath again, as the milky yellow eyes of the rib met his. The skin on their face was light brown but slightly ashen, dry, and the founts were pale, difficult to make out the shape of, as if they were no one else's business. Something about their face was not right. With a few quick, hard strides, the rib was right in front of Vesh. All he could feel, as the shimmering of their armor reflected up into his eyes, 
was that he wanted to cry. There was something coming off the rib, something around them that sent Vesh's hands shaking uncontrollably, like the barkeep's had. Vesh was transfixed by the hard, unblinking gaze, and he just barely noticed that Taryn tried to step between him and the rib before she was rudely shoved aside out of sight. Vesh saw the long, ornamentally serrated blade in the rib's hand shimmer in the setting sun. Suddenly, a forceful armoured finger placed itself in the middle of his forehead, causing the skull-shaped fount there to shimmer in response. Vesh couldn't stop it. The rib's crystal gauntlet snaked its way down to grab hold of Vesh's chin, and their pale eyes, pupil grey, smiled joylessly at him. This close, Vesh recognized the smell that just barely surrounded the rib, trying to hide. It didn't match their spotless rainbow prism armor at all. They smelled like graves. Aren't you lucky we need someone like you right now, ghost talker? The rib said. Vesh closed his eyes in an attempt to derail the racing panic he felt coming. This was dangerous. Their words were laden with magic. Help us out, and I just might allow you to be conscious on the trip back to Ailitis. We don't take kindly to illicit practitioners. Vesh heard what they were saying, but he knew there was nothing illicit about anything he did, not even in Yellow Midoril. He could also tell that meant nothing to the rib. Right now, those words were true. There was something else behind the dizzying readjustment of reality that the rib's magic was up to. The threats, the firm grip on Vesh's chin, the stiff hatred coating their vision. The rib was desperate. Desperate to feel something, anything. Not that that insight helped Vesh at all. He was too frightened to use it to any possible advantage. With an inconceivably strong flick of their wrist, the rib threw Vesh across the room into the corner where the body was pinned to the back of the bench. He just barely heard two familiar voices react to it, and he desperately hoped the two of them would stay at a safe distance. Vesh's hands caught him in the last breath on the blood-stained table. His palms landed on something sharp, small pieces of pale red ceramic. Catching his breath, he looked down to see that his simple beige shoes had punctured the skin that had formed on the pool of bright red blood on the floor. Any step would have to be taken carefully, lest he slip. He also noticed that his shoes were not beige anymore. With efficiency, the rib was at his side again, keeping their dusty but still sparkling sabotons at the edge of the pool of blood. It had started to ooze out into new patterns on the dry, sticky wooden floor due to Vesh's tumbling into it. Find out who did this, and I might overlook your blatant disregard for life, the rib declared, loud like a pledge, ablazoned to the rest of the tavern. 
This was only allowed because they said so. Besh was scared, and his thoughts and actions became efficient, submissive. He sat down opposite the corpse, staring into the gaping wound on their neck, a red, sticky eye. Besh swallowed, looking down on his shaking hands. Not in his wildest imagination would he manage to reach a place of necessary calm and concentration to communicate now, not even with someone this recently transformed. If he didn't comply... The simple possibility that his two companions would be hurt if he didn't do this was more than enough. There was no other choice. Looking up somewhere in the vicinity of the rib's eyes, he said, voice shivering, May I borrow a dagger? Taryn was writhing in Lady Kai's grip. She could have gotten loose, easily. She was much stronger than he was. But she also knew that what he was feverishly hissing in her ear, if she jumped the rib, they wouldn't hesitate to kill them all. A show of augury right now would have the same result. Nothing she did would lead to anything but a scenario worse than this. Was all true. Therefore, her struggling against his grip was just to show in some way how much she hated the situation. She could tell by how Lydikai's voice barely held together, and she was not alone in that hate. Why did this have to happen to Vesh of all people? She could have handled this. Threats ran off her like oil on feathers, but they would hurt him. They were hurting him. All fight escaped her in a hollow, cold echo as she saw Vesh's lilac shawl fall to the floor, landing in the viscous red liquid there. The rib had torn it from Besh, it seemed, because they were the one to drop it. Taryn could see the cruel gaze the rib had on Vesh. She felt Lydikai's hand lose all strength as he too saw the shawl fall to the floor. The entire tavern had gone completely silent. Therefore, everyone could hear the sharp, pained inhale from the fog walker by the table as the dagger went into his throat. Damn it, Vesh. Taryn whispered, tears finally impossible to hold back. Among black trunks and skeletal briars, a celebration was heard throughout the winding halls of rock and fire. The dance of a hundred hooves and more, echoing through bedrock wet with blood. The time has come, the time is now, the moonless nights will triumph. The mist mess sing. In shadowlands unheard unseen, we rip the wings of order. The blue-tailed bird of Ur the keen, we call to her, implore her. Her grey eye watches, misty star, your blood is ours, our blood is yours. Misfortune's moonless rain was far, our time on distant moors. Now here you are, our freedom's bird, mane long, skin soft anew. 
You bring our longed-for blessed word, regardless of the road prefer, to us you always flew. It had been quite a while since he killed himself to do this, and it was never pleasant. He quickly corrected himself. It wasn't unpleasant. He knew that it was just so incredibly violent. But now he was here. Truly here. Dead. Again. Vesh noted the fleeting figures around him without looking directly at them. There, yet not there, every single thing that had passed on this spot, shivering in the static around him. Eternity colliding with temporality in a never-ending, never-starting fireworks display. He had always been here. He's always here. And as always, there was the impulse to walk further into the static instantly, to real freedom. He shook his head. Keep in touch with temporality before it lets go of you. Find your timeline. Why are you here? Which time in the sequence am I here for? He found the edge of reality clumsily, remembering. He was scared. That's why it was even more difficult to find purchase than usual. Focus. I am dying. Now. I am dead, and the time for Terran to bring me back is loosing its grip on me. I am in Dimiri. I am scared. His surroundings rippled, then settled. He was at the table, and there was someone sitting opposite him. There you are. Blood pulsated out of the hole in their neck. They were slowly, casually putting playing cards into it. Why are you doing that? Vesh thought in their direction. I was told to. It feels inevitable, they answered. The pleasantly conversational tone of it was uncommon for the recently dead, and it also paired awfully with the action they were performing. Welcome to my table, by the way, they continued reaching their unoccupied hand towards Vesh. They couldn't really reach all the way, the short sword keeping them stiff against the wood behind them. Vesh declined the hand, knowing that physical interaction only tightened the grip of this place, intensified the willingness to join it. It was curious how the ghost allowed the short sword to hold them fast. Why was that so important to them? I can't stay. Unfortunately, Vesh thought. The ghost shrugged and started on a new technique to try and get the cards to actually stay in the hole in their throat. Up until now, they had only flopped out of it, unwilling to remain bent, causing the memory of blood to shake the air as it flew out in slow droplets. Instead, the ghost folded the cards into little rectangles and harshly jammed them into the edges of the tear. It made the gap look like a moor filled with teeth. Vesh's hand unconsciously reached up to the cut in his own throat. Even though that was not the intention, he felt how that anchored him in the reality he had almost forgotten again. 
He cleared his thoughts. I need to find out who did this to you. A very forceful individual is insistent about finding out who is responsible. And I would like to survive. The last sentence seemed more a realization for his own benefit than something he had meant to share with the ghost. The ghost, calmly as they did everything, shared the image of the one who had killed them. Reality ran like a bright, sharp crack through the lands of the cold, a zigzag of lightning in the buzzing static. No. Vesh's lips parted, and he realized that he was trying to speak, and that it was very difficult to do so, and that his throat was full of blood, and he was in incredible pain, and the ghost in front of him was smiling and waving goodbye, and he looked around him, there, where is Taryn, where is Taryn, help, I can't breathe, and he accidentally looked up at the rib beside him again. The rib was staring at him, solid in the land of the cold, a definite part of this place. The smell of graves suddenly made sense. They grinned at Vesh. I won't let you tell anyone. There had been nothing to do but count. Count the breaths Tyron could allow before having to break free of Lydia's grip and save Vesh down the rib. She counted out loud, under her breath, so that Lydia knew what she was up to. He was staring at her mouth, as if that alone held the key to Vesha's survival. Then, suddenly, terrifyingly, they heard Vesh trying to scream, but it sounded like a loud, phlegmy gurgle. Pulling the dagger from his neck, Vesh managed to dive under the rib's arm, but then he fell to the floor, grabbing his throat, his limbs bending under him like paper. Taryn darted to him, hands to his neck, mending, coaxing his body to come back again like so many times. Taryn was too furious right now to note that Vesh was actually eager to come back and to reflect on that he had never been that before. Vesh took a breath. It looked as if his very newly healed windpipe punished him for it. Lydia had been on Terran's heel and had latched on to Vesh's wrist like a clamp, staring at his blood-soaked silk robe through tear-dimmed eyes. We... Vesh croaked with a pained face. We need to get out of here right now without thinking about the consequences. Taryn and Lydia helped him to his feet. A shadow of a protest washed over Lydia's face at Vesh's words, but it was cut off by the voice of the rib. No, they said, causing all three of them to look up. It was not an imperative, it was disbelief. Said disbelief was even more obvious on their face than in their voice, a surprised, gleeful grin. Taryn could see that another rib had told this supposed leader something. The no had been a response to that. The incredulity in the grin turned to triumph, to malice. And it was all directed at Lydia. 
And here we bothered with all that, just for the one we actually look for to simply fall into our lap. They said, calm like an icicle, beginning to move towards Lydia with newfound vigour. Taryn could guess at what they wanted Lydia for. He had been tight-lipped, to say the least, about his reason for leaving Eilatis, but that fact alone had made her suspect it wasn't exactly something minor. Not that she cared. Fuck that place. But none of that mattered right now. What mattered was getting out of the currently approaching Rib's way, quickly. She and Lydia were still holding Vesh up, and Lydia looked at her over the fogwalker's slumping head. He looked desperate, scared. The things she felt herself, but forced off her face. They both knew she had nothing for a situation like this, and that he did. After a few breaths, she nodded in resignation, taking all of Vesha's weight from Liddy. The vague greenish light spread across her, a trace along the hex brands of her body. She gritted her teeth as she felt the enormous hex on her back flicker to life and the uncontrolled strain of it. For a few breaths, she knew she had not managed to keep that fear she felt off her face. Faster than mundanely possible, she rushed towards the back door with Vesh hanging off her arm, scaring the few guests still hovering by the entrance. She had seen the glow of Lydia's founts as soon as she had engaged her own magic. And, before she had managed to make it to the door, she was sure she had seen an unfamiliar sadness on his face. A defeat. Lydia had always had trouble in his relation to magic, she knew that. But he was powerful, and he was incredibly skilled. She had always viewed his paranoia over his magic as exaggerated. But she had never seen him look sad as he gave in to it. Only angry, arrogant at times, even happy a few other times. Something had changed. Her mind threw her back through a patchwork of memories, of faces between words, of small, sudden tensions in Lydikai's features, subtleties she had seen but not heard. She hadn't listened. What could have been different if she had listened? With an unfathomable roar, a bright light exploded in the middle of the tavern. Instinct took Taryn, Hexbrands and found sending her and Vesh at least twenty oars length away from the sudden inferno, landing in a stumbling heap against the houses on the other side of the street. Her entire body shook, unable to understand what she was looking at, the massive heat of the fire tumbling out around the building. No one could survive that. And yet, there he was, falling out of the fire, flames parting around him, allowing him through, before quickly closing again behind him. She was still staring, panting in shivering breaths as Lydia made it up to her. He met her eyes, everything she saw there impossible to put into words. I can't make it stop now, he whispered, his voice broken. She saw how much his entire body shook, 
realized how much it must have taken to not end up yet another thing that fire wanted to latch onto, even for him. One step at a time, she said, swallowing a tear-filled shudder, not looking at the houses surrounding the tavern, not listening to the shouts starting to emerge, not caring about the people rushing past them. One step at a time, they moved away from the devastating roar, Vesh hanging between them. Chattering like insects, like centipedes up and down your spine, chaotic spirits merging themselves into one will, one thought, one voice. Are you scared of what you will see, little bird? Crow chuckled, but it hurt, and turned into a cough, which hurt more. They still didn't open their eyes. I've just realized how many bad things I've opened my eyes to in my life and felt like I've sort of had my fill for a while. Her voice was dry, hoarse, tired. The sound of solid hoofs on rocky ground. Crow had gone from thinking it couldn't be as bad as they imagined to knowing firmly that everything was always worse. Then they had thought about how they had this idea of themselves, of always trying to stay out of trouble, stab it firmly in the back before it became their problem. Now, it was looking as if they had actually managed to backstab themselves, the crowning act of all their mistakes. And all they had tried to do must just this once pay back a debt to stick with it no matter what. To, for once in their life, not abandon a promise as soon as it turned uncomfortable. The joke, if anyone felt like laughing, was on them, they supposed. Because if Mirva was alive, that debt had all been just another lie. They leaned their head back against the wood they were tied to, wondered if it could get much worse. They smiled and opened their eyes. Lidikai had tried to stop feeling on the verge of crying for hours now, but it just wouldn't die down. Blinking was something he had to constantly remind himself to do. Exhaustion wrung out through his limbs in waves like shudders, but he was scared to sleep, and he didn't know why. It was as if reality came apart, and he had to stay awake to not lose it altogether. Too many things were once again battling for space in his head. Vesh hadn't been able to tell them why they had had flee, fleeting in and out of consciousness as he was. Taran had said his body had a lot of healing to do. He knew it was probably not what should be at the forefront of his thoughts, but Lydica couldn't shake the memory of Vesh's face as he had come out of his communication. There had been shock, 
something that Lidikai could explain away with coming back to Runa so close to death. But also sorrow. Lidikai was sure of it. Something that Besh had seen in there had shattered him. Fire, burnt wood. It was still all he could smell, and it made every breath a wave of cold sweat. Every time he closed his eyes, memories of eyelid his blinked behind his lids like whiplashes. He couldn't allow himself to get closer to that memory. It would kill him, he was sure. He didn't know how, but he was sure. He knew he should have thought of it more, regretted more, considered more, felt guilty more. He should have so many things. Gone. Back. Faced it. Remembered. Suffered the consequences. They had found a small cave, did their best to hide their tracks. As soon as the immediate panic and fear of pursuers had released its grip on them, Taryn had fallen asleep, curled up in a little ball close to the cave mouth. Lidjikai had sunken down next to Vesh, further into the cave, far enough to prepare an ambush if Taryn signalled intruders. Lidikai had wept like a panicked child as soon as Taryn had fallen asleep, wailing into the sour-smelling fabric of his robe, terrified he would never be able to stop. Dehydration had set in quickly, giving him a pounding, relentless headache, so he had wrung some water out of the wet rock around him with the last bit of focus he could muster. Even such a small thing threatened to send him reeling. The sensation of founts responding almost made him throw up. His mouth tasted like earth and salt. His tongue felt swollen. He held Vesh's sturdy, strong hand in his own and mechanically stroked it with his thumb. He had done it for so long he was sure he knew every protruding vein by heart. Every time he looked at the jagged scar, the newest of several, in Vesh's throat, another wave of fear overcame him. This was how that other way of Shadow and Ash looked. On a rational level he could see it, but that rational level was far from reality. The rational level had nothing to do with the wrenching truth of seeing someone you are terrified of losing die. And knowing that even if they survived, you had probably lost them when they realized what fires you had left. They would never look at you the same way again. Lidikai tried to think the other thoughts he always knew were true, true in his old, familiar, academic way, that Vesh knew what he was doing. He had known that Taryn would be able to save him. She was prepared. She had worked efficiently. She hadn't been stunned, terrified like Lidikai. She had been furious. The thoughts ultimately didn't help. The only thing his mind wanted to return to was the hole in reality of seeing Vesh die. He couldn't get rid of the fear of that happening again. Sitting here, wondering if Vesh would wake up again, was not something he had wished he would have to do again after their communication with Kira. 
people around him just kept getting hurt. The memory of the fire flickered around every thought like a light chasing you. I will tell you what I saw in the morning, came a quiet, half-asleep sounding whisper from Vesh. It caused Lydikai to jump and cramp around Vesh's hand, which in turn caused Vesh to flinch at the pain, but quickly smile. He turned his head towards the side where Lydikai sat, his rough hair, grey patches more numerous than before, rustling against the cloak he was lying on. Flecks of dark brown coloured some of the lighter parts of the locks. Lydikai could just barely make out the glint of Vesh's eye in the gloom of the cave. You have to sleep, Vesh continued, and it was such a commanding line, even in its drawled-out pace, that Lydikai really wished he could just comply on the spot. I can't. Lydikai whispered, absent-mindedly fiddling with Vesh's hand, as if it were an object and not attached to a person. Vesh softly grabbed Lydikai's damp, trembling hand, stopping its quick motions. Lydikai grit his teeth, watching the shaking brown limb in Vesh's hand, tiredly registering the distant feeling being back. You are not trying, Vesh said and Lydica could hear he was smiling. Before the feeble protest forming in Lydica's head could come out, Vesh softly pulled at Lydica's hand in the direction of the cloak on the cave floor. A suggestion, not a demand. It might not have been what Vesh had had in mind, but, exhausted beyond the point of reflection, Lydica followed the direction of the pull to crawl up into a small aching ball against Vesh, with a deep grunt, Vesh adjusted his position so that Lydikai's head rested on his soft chest instead of the knobbly stone underneath them. Would you like help? Vesh muttered, noticing Lydikai's nervous hand fiddling with the blood-soaked stiff textile of his once grey undershirt. With a lot of things. Lydikai whispered, uncomfortable with the taste of iron that coated his mouth, feeling helpless about how much his body uncontrollably shook against Vesh's. Two sleepy chuckles slipped Vesh, and he whispered something Lydikai couldn't make out, while bringing his hand up to Lydikai's hair, lightly tracing the uneven, knotted mess. Lydikai could see a silvery shimmer inside Vesh's shirt, from the founts along the side of the fogwalker's chest, before all his muscles relaxed for the first time in longer than he could remember.